Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. I think you guys are really going to enjoy our conversation with Joy. She is such a brilliant social worker and mental health clinician. She does this day in and day out and she really helps families learn how to navigate big emotions in their kids and in themselves and gives you such practical, real advice and almost permission to sit with kids in distress and to be comfortable in that space. I took so much away from this personally, and I think looking around the room, all of us were nodding and engaged, and I hope that everyone listening is going to get as much out of it as we did. Welcome to Enjoying Parenting. I'm one of the hosts of this podcast, Ben. I'm Jenny. And I'm Susanna. And we're going to have some really great conversations around getting the best out of your parenting, enjoying this crazy ride. So welcome along. So, Ben, it sounds like you guys have had a bit of an eventful week this week. Yeah, totally. So, my youngest daughter, Tilly, who's 10, is on the autism spectrum. Mm. So, that brings about a bunch of challenges. And she was actually at the our local shops on the weekend with her mm. beautiful big sisters who are 18 and 20. And the girls had left Tilly at the front of the shop where they went and paid for something and asked her to stay where she was. But when they exited the store, Tilly's nowhere to be found, right? And uh, which hard stop. So freaky. I mean, till when she was seven, actually left her school for an hour and a half. She was missing for an hour and a half. So there's a fair bit of trauma about it for us as a family. And I'm at home brushing the dog as you do when you have a big fairy newfoundland. Mm-hmm. All he's just scream from upstairs and they'll come down freaking out saying Tilly's missing. So we jump in the car and uh Nell rang Maddie again. She still wasn't anywhere to be found. Maddie had gone to the information desk at Erin Affair, the shopping center they were at. And but about another five minutes down the road, we live about 10, 15 minutes from mm-hmm. the shops. And we were about halfway there, phone rings, and Maddie's on the end of the phone saying they found her and the name of the people who found her. It was actually the school librarian of the school that Tilly used to go to. Tilly had recognized her and had walked towards her and let her know she was lost, she was crying. And then this lady and her daughter who'd been in a school play with Maddie and Mills, my older kids, then FaceTimed a mess or something. That's like the village in action. Yeah, That's yeah, the totally. village we talk about all the time. It's crazy, right? So stoked. Actually, what had happened was Tilly hadn't run away this time. She'd oh. actually... Two other girls had exited this shop and Tilly thought they were her big sisters and so she followed them until she realised they weren't and then freaked out, is mm. lost. Anyways, that's a muzzle. So we got, as soon as we get there, I'm like, on the way there, I'm like, Nell, we're going to be calm, babe, because we don't freak out and freak mm. her out even more. And Nell's like, we're getting her one of those watches. And so your kids have the space watches? Is that what they're oh, oh my gosh, they're so good. So Max and his both have one. They're yeah. called space talk watches. Okay. And so they basically link to an app on your phone so I can track them. Like I can see a GPS where they are. Yeah. And it's given us – actually, I think we talked about them a couple of podcasts ago around like giving them a lot of confidence to do things more independently. Yeah. So Max used his to start catching the bus to the hospital and he was really confident because he knew that he could contact me if he ever got in trouble or if, yeah. he, if he ever didn't know where he was or if anything happened. But we found it even just like during school holidays and just around our neighborhood – I've seen them like they're so confident to go and be at their friends' houses, but I know where they are, so I feel safe to let them. But I've just seen their little confidence go up so much yeah. because they know they've got that connection point. They've got that attachment spot where they totally. can get us if they need us, but yeah. I, they don't need us that much, which yeah. is so good for them, like that That's autonomy. Awesome. 
So I felt like it was a parenting up for me because yeah. Nell was freaking out. I was actually staying pretty calm. And then when we were that night, I think I said to Nell, hey, man, baby, you were pretty freaked out. Like mm. I know we went through something traumatic a couple of years ago with this. She's going, yeah, like you were pretty calm about the whole thing. I said, what was going on for you? And she said, well, actually, I thought that Tilly had been captured by some people, mm. that they were going to murder her. She full catastrophized this whole yeah. situation. I was like, oh, wow. Like, I mean, in my mind, I'm like, as we're driving, I'm like, she's probably just walked away. It's just an affair. She is 10. We'll probably find her, but I need to be calm just in case something bad has happened. I don't want to like mm. negate Nell's feelings and stuff. But man, she'd gone to town and I was just that reminder of like how much you can be triggered by fear sometimes. Mm. And, but, um, I was the stoic one. So it was, <laughs> it was a dad up for me. I was able to be the stable. Sounds like a good time. balance. <laughs> like now was like the embracing cuddles. You were like, we've got this. You got yeah. the technology. We're good. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Straight to JB Hi-Fi. As soon as we got it, we got like, the space watch. Fix it with your money. <laughs> we- Done. <laughs> yeah. All good. So yeah, that was my eventful weekend. Well, it's great to have you here back on enjoying parenting. I'm joined by my wonderful co-host Jen. How's your week been, Jen? Yeah, really good. Really good. How have you been, Susanna? Well, my week, it's been interesting. It's had its ups and it's down, but it's been really good. Awesome. Because it, I just find it works itself out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we normally do like a parenting win or a parenting fail now, and Jen couldn't think of any. And oh, I can't think of a parenting fail, but I can think of a husband fail. I definitely had a oh. fail last night, but I'm not going to go deep into it. I just thought it's not really something I want to bring up in front of everybody right now. Still moving through it. But Parenting wins. My gorgeous daughter, Mealy, who's doing year 12, she just finished her artworks. So they've gone in and she's also did her four performance pieces for singing. So she's on cloud nine. So I'm on cloud nine as a dad. So I might be failing as a husband, but I'm doing good as a dad right now. So (laughs) let's just stick to the good parts, hey? (laughs) You're probably doing it right all across the board. Yeah, look, it evens out, I'm sure. I hope so. No, I'm just good. No, all, I good all, but. all you have to do is go and plant those plants I brought home for you for on the weekend and you'll be a winner again. Well, that might have caused our parenting fail, so I don't know if we should go there, Susanna. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, my, my husband failed. But uh, we digress. It's all good. I guess my resilience wasn't so high last night. But we've actually got a wonderful guest today in Joy Hayes. And Joy is a social worker and she's going to be talking to us today about resilience and about emotional regulation and how we as adults and those little ones in our lives can enjoy more of that emotional regulation. So thanks so much for being with us today, Joy. Can you tell me a little bit about what your current role looks like and what you get up to day to day? Yeah, of course. It's such an honor to be here, guys. So I'm a social worker and I work within mental health, particularly with adolescents and some kids as well. And so part of my role is to really support families and kids around building as much resilience and distress tolerance is what we like to call it around strong and hard things for families here. Awesome. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. I have known Joy for a while now, and I think you're one of my favorite people to ask questions about what Max and his get up to, and you always give such great advice. I think during this season, everything's been really different, and I think we've talked about it quite a bit, that the kids are really emotional, and it's just day to day. You kind of don't know what each week is going to look like, and you're planning a week or two in advance, but I know I love some of the practical tips you've given me around helping kids to understand their emotions and to really work through that. So I thought, are there any of the things that you could tell 
some of our listeners that would be like your hot tips around helping kids with their emotions? Yeah, of course. I think one of the best things that parents can do and try to do when they're with their kids is to be able to help their kids name their emotions. So finding a language that works for you and your kids around what you're going to say if they're feeling really angry or really sad, even really happy and full of joy, what is actually going to be the best for you guys as in your family to name Mm. those things. Because if we're able to do that really well, what we're doing is we're helping our kids be able to learn that when I feel a certain way, I can articulate how Mm. I feel. So how do parents go about that? That's a great question. I think it's about, so parents know their kids really well. So Mm -hmm. it's about talking to their kids. It might be around asking their kids when they're feeling strong or big things, how they feel in their bodies, where do they feel it, what it might feel like in their tummy or their chest or their hands and giving them an opportunity to share that and then almost giving them some language around some words or some emotions Mm -hmm. that they can maybe use so that they learn that when I feel this way, this is what it means. And then they're able to then build that within their little hearts and their little lives to be able to sit with it and manage it when it comes on really, really strong. We actually had something like that with Max. It was really funny because he's always been a little bit articulate. Like he's always been able to kind of say, oh, I'm not feeling sad. I'm feeling mad or I'm feeling a little bit anxious. Like he just, he uses really adult words and I've often went, oh, like what does that look like? But probably when he's really tired. So when he's really tired and he's really like, it takes a lot to get under Max's skin. But when he does get mad, he totally loses his mind and he almost becomes like a little dinosaur. Like his arms go out beside him and he just screams and almost roars. Like he's just like, "Ah!" and he'll just like start crying uncontrollably. And then sometimes he'll just start throwing whatever is around him. So if you're not around him and we started, we actually like, what is that? What are we talking about? And he was like, I don't, I just feel so mad. I said, we named it. We called it Mad Max, a Mad Max moment. And we're like, what do we do before you get to Mad Max moments? And hit, But everybody knows what Mad Max looks like, and it comes out once every six months or so. But even this year, we started talking about it. We were like, yeah, we haven't seen Mad Max for a while. And he, Max is like, oh, yeah, I just I know when it's coming, and I kind of breathe, and I kind of do the things. And wow. But I'm like, it's actually it's really interesting yeah. to kind of have that language because he's like used to Mad Max was just out of control. Like it was just overwhelming emotion. So it is funny. Like, and everybody in our family, like all the aunties and uncles, they're like, Mad Max is here. We're gone. And I think too, for kids, when they're feeling that way and when they can feel free enough with their family and with those around them to express their feelings, it's really, really good for them to be able to do that because when it kind of sits inside for a long period of time, we see these behaviors that maybe aren't the ones that the kids want to choose to do, but because their feelings are so strong about about a certain situation or a certain event that happened, or they might be disappointed that they're actually not able to kind of articulate that. Mm -hmm. And I think what you said, Jen's really interesting about anger, particularly because anger is generally a secondary emotion for Mm -hmm. us as people. There's often that something that's happened to us first prior to feeling angry. 
And so being able to get back and st- take those steps mm. back, just like what you did with Max, for him to be able to starting to recognize when I get mad, I know that something else has happened beforehand mm. is fantastic. And I think for him as a kid too, to be able to go, yeah, I did that really well, or I, I breathed really well, or I went for a run, or I walked away from my sister who was being unkind to me, whatever those behaviors are, that can really help kids when they're feeling kind of all over the place. Beautiful. Mm, Yeah, it's interesting too, like when I think about as a family, how we're all bouncing off each other and how like all of our emotions, you know, I think often – Like I've seen Mad Max come out when I'm frustrated or when we're all a bit stretched or we've had too much activity over the weekend and it's like a Sunday night and we're all a bit tired and I've snapped, somebody else has snapped. It is interesting how like the whole family's emotions play into it. I mean, I guess that's the second thing. And I think this is something you've often been really helpful to me around as well is what kind of a self-care advice would give to parents in managing their emotions and how that kind of plays off with the children. Yeah. And look, I think parents do such a good job at working with their kids and being a family, but you're right at times we don't often respond the way that we want to. And we recognize that. And I think sometimes for some parents, they really give themselves a hard time. And I think rather than doing that and rather than kind of just beating themselves up, I think it's so important for individuals, for mums and for dads, just to be able to even look and go, when I start to recognize that I'm tired or I'm a little bit more more snappy or that I don't feel as though I have as much energy, if they can start to recognize for themselves those behaviors and realize, oh, maybe I need to take a bit of time out or maybe I need to plan something for myself. I get how hard that is for families. Like it's not easy for them to say, well, I'm just going to go out for half an hour or an hour and leave the kids. But maybe it's just being around, being aware of those things and giving themselves enough grace to go, okay, so today isn't my day, but that's okay. I'm going to do the best that I can. And then when I pop the kids down or I've taken them out to Nan and Pa's or wherever they're going to go, I'm going to give myself an hour and that might be have a cup of tea or I just sit in silence or go for a walk or do something that's important because we're not able to sustain how we feel for long periods of time. So if people are able to build that in as best they can, particularly when they're starting to recognize, oh, I didn't do that so well. Okay, so I recognize that. I get that I'm going to do better next time. And we just keep that kind of moving on. So really, Joe, what you're saying is I should go surfing more. It's, it's the best thing for my family. I'm I just think thinking so. about all their mental health. That's, that's, yeah. that's what I'm doing. Exactly yeah. right. I, I feel much better now. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, this you is really them. helping me. Yeah, yeah. I, feel like, I feel like this podcast often makes you feel really good about your parenting. Seriously, I think that's a really good yeah. point to make because I think sometimes parents just put too much pressure on themselves and others put too much pressure on them. To, as I'm often saying, to be that perfect parent. And sometimes we can think to be that perfect parent, we have to keep pushing through Mm -hmm. what we're feeling. Mm -hmm. But actually, if we are able to recognize it in ourselves, and that's where I think I feel very much, particularly for single parents Mm -hmm. around this, it's got to be twice as hard. Mm -hmm. But maybe if a single parent even had somebody that they some good friend or something that they could call and just download to, Mm. maybe that would help too. But also I think when you have two parents in the home, I don't know what you think about if one is feeling particularly stressed out, if they just let the other one know, I feel like I'm going to snap any minute and behave with the children in a way that I don't really want to, Mm. and then even just give themselves five, ten minutes 
but then still plan to do what you're saying afterwards and give themselves the full long hour or whatever it is they need or go for a surf or whatever. That's where I think, yeah, like I said, I really feel for single parents in this. But I do think there's way, ways around for single parent if they've got other people in their world that support them. But, yeah, I really like that. That's great. And I'm glad you have that freedom to go surfing some. Look, 100%. <laughs> look, it's very important for my mental health. But I think it is really powerful, Joy, because often as a parent we don't necessarily build our own resilience. Or we're not, mm. We often hear the word resilience banded around a lot for kids, but, yeah, I mean, we can't give what we don't have. And mm. so I don't want to be that absent parent, but actually go snowboarding every now and again or to go for a wave, like, is a healthy thing in balance mm. so that I can actually have – my own emotional well-being in a good spot mm. to be able to then be that healthy dad to my kids. Like there, it's easy at suck just thinking that my role as a parent is to serve, and there's mm. healthy sides to that, but there's also an unhealthy side if we get that out of balance. And I think too, as we were talking about earlier around trying to give language to our kids around their feelings and their emotions, if we're practicing that ourselves around, mm. I'm starting to feel this way or I'm recognizing this own feeling, we're modeling really well to our kids that practice of recognizing our distress, being aware of those kind of uncomfortable feelings, but knowing that I can put something into place. And I think that even if it is the five minutes or if it's the hour or if for our single parents out there who are just having to actually plan when they need to take some time out, that that's a really great model even for their kids as they're doing those things and having those conversations around, Mm. I'm not at 100% today and this is what it looks like for me. And even modeling for them, you know, when you're tired or when you don't feel very well or you have a bad day, sometimes we feel and giving that language even more around Mm. that for our kids can be really powerful as well. And it also encourages that greater communication Mm. between us as families, whatever our family looks like. And on the days we do it great and the days we don't do it great, we're just doing that practice as Mm. best we can. I know that in the book that I wrote, I talk about how children catch much more than what they're taught. Mm. And I love that you're saying for the parents to have the conversations with the children, not just take the space out and not just do it between the two of them, but actually talk to the children about mm. this is how I'm feeling and mm. this is what I do to overcome that. I think that's real gold because children definitely do catch much more than what they're taught, mm. I believe. Oh, 100%. They they often say like they're little sponges and, and we're sponges all the way up until we leave our home and then when we're not in home, we kind of recognize, oh, I do that the way that my mum did it or I do that the way that my dad did it. And so those patterns of behavior mm. replicate. So if we're able to talk about it and name it at different times, although it's uncomfortable, we can do it really well. You're not going to have the same conversation with a five-year-old as you would a 12-year-old or an 18-year-old, but you can still model that practice of I'm not feeling great or this mm. is why and and parents are really great at knowing their kids that's something that I see day to day is that everyone's doing the best they can and they have this real deep sense of I know this is what my young person's like I know this is what my kids like so mm. when they're having those conversations they can actually do it really well it's good I think that's one of the things that Izzy just turned seven over the weekend and Max just turned nine in this month as well. So we were saying they're mediums. So they're not little kids anymore. They're not teenagers. They're like, we're mediums. But as mediums, the conversations that we're having, and I guess over this whole period with COVID, we've talked a lot about emotions. We've talked a lot about what that looks like for them. And it's been really nice to have that conversation and say, you know what? Like, 
actually, I think that's anxiety. Like, I think you're feeling a little scared. You're feeling like that's really normal. Like when I sometimes feel like that now. So that real, it's like, it's quite validating. And I remember is she specifically, because I think she felt like that she wasn't, she was really teary and she was not okay one day. And we had that conversation and I said, oh, like, I feel like that too. And I remember like she looked up and her little shoulders went back and she's like, really, tell me more. Tell me more about when you're messy. But it was so nice. And it was kind of that, like I just sat with her. I think that's where you often talk about sitting with distress, like sitting with your kids and that attachment and them them feeling like they're close to you and that they can get that security from you. What does that actually mean? Because I, when I first heard you say it, I was like, sitting with distress sounds horrible. But what does it look like and why is it so helpful for young people? I think that's, again, fantastic thing to think about for us as, as all kind of people. So I talk about sitting with distress all the time and it is not a comfortable thing to do. <laughs> it can be really, really hard. But the way that I really like to describe it is that when I'm feeling a really strong emotion or a really strong feeling, I just allow it to be there with me. So I can still do my day-to-day activities and still have that really strong feeling there, but I'm not trying to push it away. Because if I push that feeling away, it only comes back stronger. So if I'm feeling really afraid and I'm pushing it away, I'm going, don't feel afraid, joy, don't feel afraid, joy, don't feel afraid, joy. Then what happens is I become even more fearful. But if I'm just allowing it to be there and recognize, okay, oh, there's that feeling again, joy, you're feeling quite scared. Oh, there it is again. Wow, it's really strong today. And allowing it to be there within my life, what I find is that it passes a lot quicker. Mm. So if I'm pushing it away, it comes back stronger. But if I allow it to be there, it does. It passes really, really quickly. The more I practice it, the better that I get at it. So it might be fear. It might be anger. It might be I don't know, something else that's really, really uncomfortable for me because my feelings come and go and often they're not very trustworthy because that of they come and they go. So if I'm allowing it to be there just with me and I recognize it and I name it and then I keep doing what I need to do, I build a really big kind of strong, resilient block in my heart to go the next time that big fear feeling comes, I know what it feels like and I know what I can do. And so it's, it's mm-hmm. a bit of a practice. Wow. So naming it again is really important for you mm-hmm. as an adult to think about what is that emotion that's coming up yeah. and actually naming it. Wow. Yeah, because I think when I validate it or when someone else validates it for me, then my experience is recognized and then I feel like, oh, it's actually okay to feel this way. Mm. I might feel afraid or I might feel really angry, but when someone else says to me, it's actually okay, Joy, that you feel that way. It's actually okay. And if no one's around to do that for me, it's really important for us to learn to do that ourselves Mm. because my value as Joy doesn't change because I feel all these different things. Mm. But if I can say to myself, I know that this is hard and this is challenging or it feels uncomfortable, but I can still have value and I still have a purpose, then that really helps me to be able to manage those feelings when they come. Mm. Can I just ask too, I know we've talked about sitting in distress and I know you've told me some of that with my kids as well, just to be with them and to that real practice of just sitting with them and it will pass. And I thought one thing that was really interesting was around the time frame mm. with kids, like, and the younger they are, the shorter that time frame passes. But what does that look like? Because I think for me, that practical skill was so helpful. 
Yeah, so often when we feel really distressed, we can't feel distressed for super long periods of time. So generally for a lot of kids, maybe 10 and above, they can't sit within that really heightened distress of maybe the wailing, the crying, the kicking, the screaming, whatever it might look like for them. They can't sustain that for more than 40 minutes unless there's something kind of feeding that. So if they're very, very afraid or they're feeling threatened, that's when they can sustain it for longer. But if we're looking at a little person who is really struggling and they're feeling quite afraid or quite distressed or quite angry and they're with a mom or a dad or someone who's a really safe, secure adult, when we're sitting with them, that distress passes really, really quickly. So within about that 40-minute time frame... It doesn't sound too quick to me when my kids are stressed. 40 minutes, that sounds like hours. And it is. It's a really long time to do that. You're 100% right. But what we're doing is is that we're allowing those kids and we're allowing those people that we love the most to be able to figure out what I can do in that moment and do it with someone next to them. Also, I say in my book that I asked my adult children what areas of my motherhood would they have liked me to have done differently. And two out of my four said... I wish you had have sat with me longer in stuff. And I know that I am that sort of person that likes to move on quickly. However, I will say that one of those two that said I didn't sit enough is a very closed off. They can be very closed off and put the wall up very easily. So to sit with that particular person, not now as an adult, it's easy. But as a child, it was very difficult anyhow. And I know that I did try to do it more with this particular one. But when they close you off, how do you sit with them? I think with that comes a little bit of choice and being able to ask questions and very direct kind of simple questions. So if our loved one, if our child is really, really distressed and they, they're a bit not ready to have a talk, that wall is up. It might be around, can I sit here or can I sit over opposite you? Or would you like a drink of water? And just giving them the opportunity to have a choice while we're sitting there with them so that they can actually know that we're there with them and that there is a purpose for us being there. But a little bit of choice can sometimes help a child or a young person feel a little bit more comfortable around some of those challenging behaviours because when we put a wall up, it's usually fear. We're afraid of what's going to happen. We're afraid of our fear. We're afraid of our feelings and what that could mean for us. And so when someone comes alongside of us, it can be really challenging to manage that. But often choice really helps us. So when we look at kids and young people with really challenging behavior, so they might be throwing things or kicking things or it's just very uncomfortable to be with them often giving them those choices can be really helpful and Mm. also helps bring down that emotion for them because they have to kind of flick from that heightened sense of that brain part of them to kind of almost go back online like, no, I don't want a drink of water and then they start to regulate their breathing and things like that. And even you saying, oh, I'll sit here or here or I'm actually going to just going to stand over here and I'm going to do this, but you know I'm going to be right here with you. So if you need me, I'm here. And almost that can sometimes lessen it. And I guess we just hope that the 40 minutes goes quick. (laughs) (laughs) What if you've asked them, do I sit here or I sit there? And they say, I don't want you to sit anywhere. I'm fine. Yep. 
buzz off basically. Yep. Do you buzz off? I would buzz off a little. I'd buzz off halfway. So I would do something similar like if they're sitting in the lounge room or they're sitting in their bedroom, I would be just outside or around the corner. Or if they're in the lounge room and the kitchen's right there, I would just be there within line sight of them and allow them to. And then every couple of minutes just check in and they still might say buzz off, but it's just about maintaining that relationship with them and them knowing that their bad, sad, mad feeling doesn't rupture the relationship Mm -hmm. between you and them that okay. it, they're still connected even though mm-hmm. that they may not feel as though that they are so I think that's important just being there and a lot of parents will do really well some days and not so good other days and it's just about having that repair quickly so if you go oh, whoops I shouldn't have said that mm. giving them the space stepping back in making the repair and doing the best you can the next time around mm-hmm. beautiful I love that because look we're gonna have our good days and our bad days as parents right so yeah I love it There's ways to repair it when it doesn't go so well because it doesn't. No, that's right. And I think saying sorry, again, we're modeling the behavior. So we're naming the feelings. We're doing those things. It might be, hey, mate, I didn't get it right today. Really sorry. Then repairing and going on. And then as the kids get older and into adolescence, you may even have further conversation around, hey, I didn't do that so well. What could have I have done differently next time? And just probably make sure as a mum or a dad, you're feeling quite resilient that day because they may tell you things you don't want to hear but that can often be really helpful as we just do our best the more it goes on. Mm. don't know what you think about this but sometimes when I've done that with my children and going like what could I have done I do do like you're saying I make sure I'm in a good place when I ask them that question but then I try to say nothing when they tell me what I've done wrong because I feel if we justify it then Mm. then we end up in a another cycle Mm -hmm. but just listen to it take it on board and then process it probably away from them yeah just so that we don't get into oh you know we then justify well I did it that way when because you know Definitely. And I think it's hard for us when we feel inadequate and we want to be able to justify maybe the things we wish we could have done better. But I think you're right. I think if we're able to be as brave as we can in that moment and sit in our distress and our discomfort when we hear things that we don't want to maybe hear or maybe we don't agree with, but being able to come back to it at a later time and say, okay, so I can see that. We never want to react. We want to be able to respond. And they're just times when we can practice to do that Mm. because I think that that's helpful too. Mm. You talked before about sharing your feelings with your children. Mm-hmm. Well, females are not good at sharing their feelings with anybody, but I'm hearing that's a good idea. Like, can you help me understand that? Like, as a guy, like, why I would share my feelings with my kids? Yeah. Because I don't know any guys that comes naturally to. I don't think it comes naturally to a lot of people. And I think a lot of the time there's fear there. And there's also, we live in a culture where at times we're quite gendered in our roles at Mm -hmm. at different times. And for some families, it's still quite traditional in those ways. But I think what we really want to be able to do for our kids is model the best kind of behavior that we can. So I think for those people who they really struggle to share their emotions, sometimes it's really helpful to think it's not actually about me and my feelings, but it's about providing that space for my child to feel validated within that and often when we normalize emotion we feel as though that we're connected to someone and that it's okay to feel that way so for dads or for mums who may struggle to do that it's not about an overshare but it's like we're going to model for our kids that this is a really appropriate way to do things as uncomfortable as that is and 
again, the more we do it, the more we practice it, the easier it becomes. And I think too, language is such an important thing for us as people. So if our mum and dads really help us as kids and young people around that, how we can articulate our distress at our different kind of stages Mm. of development, it really helps us when we become adults to be able to recognize that. So if my boss tells me something that I don't particularly want to do, rather than becoming very distressed and kind of yelling or screaming or crying, I can say, okay, I can do that and then kind of model that and sit within that, which is the good stuff. Cool. Mm. I'll give it a crack. (laughs) (laughs) So within my role within Little Miracles, one of the things I do is work with a lot of our kids with big behaviors in their families, Mm. um, working through that. And so dysregulation is massive for kids that are really struggling with those big behaviours, what are some tools you use to actually help people? Like you mentioned, the throwing the toys. I mean, that's literally like throwing the resources we have can be one of the things like flipping chairs or or lashing out physically. Mm. What do you think are constructive ways we can work with kids in that space? It's really around clear direction and trying to support that young person to contain almost physically. So rather than giving really long instructions to kids who are really struggling in that moment, it might be around, I'm just here, buddy, if you need me, and they might still be going on, but it's around why don't you come over here and even use body language in order to kind of show things because if we're saying lots of things to kids when they're distressed, they're not actually in that space where they can take on the information. So I'd firstly say really clear instructions and using our body language to point places, things like that. My other suggestion would be around almost the element of surprise is sometimes really helpful for kids who are struggling in that way. So I'm not suggesting anyone jumps on those kids, but sometimes just dropping a pen or making a noise breaks that pattern of behavior for those kids. So if we drop a pen and the Mm. kids look to the floor, oh, Mm. there's a pen. And then we've got that opportunity to say, hey, mate, I can see you're struggling. Why don't you come over here and almost model with your body language the movement to where we want them to go. And then it would be around what we were talking talking about earlier around asking really clear questions. Would you Mm. like to sit down or stand up? Would you like a drink of water while we wait or whatever it might be? So I would say clear instruction, use your body language to be really clear and then sometimes that little element of surprise, just (laughs) dropping something, making a little noise. It's nothing to scare them but just to break that pattern of behaviour can sometimes really help. In your experience, what would be the most impactful thing that you've seen that helps kids with handling their emotions? I think it's when kids know that they've got someone in their life, so an adult, whether it's mum or dad, auntie or uncle, friend, someone who they can connect with and share their challenges with, their strong emotions with. If a child or a young person is really aware that there's that one or two people that they can go to and know they can get that validation, that encouragement from, That makes all the difference. Mm. I could do all the therapy in the world with someone and nothing changes for Mm. them. But if I have a really strong connection with them and I'm able to encourage and support them, they could change 110%. It's just around that real ongoing relationship with that person. So how do you build that as like you're not their parents? So Mm. I'm really interested in this Mm. for us in our role at work. Like how do we as someone in their life but not their primary attachment, how do we build that? Yeah. Do you were just speaking about that because that sounds awesome. 
I think there's two things that we have to do as adults who want to be those kind of adults is we have to be really consistent and kind. Mm -hmm. If we are consistent in the way we behave and how we treat them, then they're going to know that I'm a safe person, that they can connect with me and that I'm modeling appropriate behavior. And if I'm kind to them where I'm being able to show them empathy, compassion and connectedness, then I'm actually able to do that for them. And even in those moments when they may do something that they're not allowed to do or I have to do something in order to bring that behavior back, if I'm consistent in that, then I can still maintain relationship and still be kind. Good. So what about when you have a child who isn't very good at showing their emotions at all? Like I love how Max and Izzy for Jenny are very open and let her know how they're feeling. But what about the child that really closes off their emotions? You kind of figure that something's worrying them, but it's hard to work out. What are the signs that we should be looking for as a parent? Mm. Every child's going to be different in how they might display their behavior around those things. But I think what we need to be looking at is any change of behavior. What I mean by that is if that that child or that young person is already quite quiet and quite closed off, but they do things where they might have meals with us as a family or they have conversation or they enjoy doing an activity, if those kind of things change for that child, then I would suggest there's been a changing behavior. So there might be something going on the loss of interest in activity, the loss of connectedness for that child. So it's whatever the change in behavior is. So it might look for a young person who is really engaged and quite chatty or a Max and Izzy, if they change their behavior where they might not want to talk to Jen, they might not come out and play or do those kind of things. It's those changes of behavior we want to look for. And for those kids who maybe really struggle to articulate their distress or their emotion, sometimes some little tools might be around. For some families, they might have two post-it pads. And so if it's a blue or a red or a blue or a pink, and so if the child might pop a post-it somewhere and then the mum or the dad knows the blue one means I'm doing good and the pink one means I need mum or dad to come and have a chat with me. So it might be working out some of those practical things that work for families. Some families like to do a scale of one to five. How was your day to today, if the child or the young person says, oh, I was at a three, the family already know what that means for them. And so it's about sometimes having those conversations when we're feeling good around, if this looks different for you, what do you want me to do? Is that important that we have those conversations when things are good? Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm. If we're doing okay and we're able to articulate those things then, then in the moment when we're feeling distressed, we're not as anxious or concerned about what we can do. And I think that would really help maybe build some confidence for some parents in the Mm. way that they're doing things because when your beloved one is so distressed, it can be so tricky to know what to do. But if we've already had that conversation, then that gives us confidence to step in and say, okay, so... I can do this. And then that parent knows. And I think parents are either going to be told, go away, that's not right. Or when they step in, they're going to have that connectedness there. So I think those conversations are good. They're really good to have in the car when you're driving somewhere. Because sometimes when we're not looking at the kids or at one another, we can get more information out. I've always found that, that even as teenagers, but little ones as well, in the car, so much more will come out Mm -hmm. than 
in other situations. It's amazing. Yeah, definitely. It's really good to have conversations. Never good to fight in the car. <laughs> That's the challenging part. So if we have those hard conversations to stop it so we're not in the car because we're not as connected. So There you go. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time and we're going to have to get you back because I need to work on my own personal regulation, <laughs> emotional regulation. But, yeah, you've been so practical and, yeah, so much wisdom. It's been awesome. Mm, my pleasure. What would be one thing that you would say to like a younger version of yourself? When you look back on your journey with your own emotional regulation stuff, what would be one thing you'd say to a younger version of yourself to have lived an even healthier life than what you have, Joy? I think it's about being able to recognize those emotions. So emotions don't mean bad things, even though they might make us feel bad or sad or mad, but it's being able to just have enough grace to say to myself, that was okay that I felt that way, but then being able to sit with it and know that's okay when I feel that way, but I can still contribute and do what I need to do. Yeah, awesome. Mm. And so if we want to grow further in those kind of areas, have you got any websites or any resources that you can recommend to those listening along? Yeah, I sure can. So there's the Resourcing Parents website, which is, I think it's just www.resourcingparents, but if you throw it in Google, I know that it will be there. <laughs> they have lots of different groups and parenting groups and programs that parents can engage in. You just need to pop your postcode in. So there'll be a link at the top for you to be able to do that. And everything in your area will come up, which is fantastic. And it's updated regularly. Um, our GPs are a fantastic place for referral base. So if you're recognizing that your child or your young person is kind of struggling in the area of their emotions and their feelings, sometimes having referrals through our GP can be really helpful. Or there's the parenting line, which is one three hundred one three hundred five two, and you can just jump on and give someone a call and there's usually a clinician there or a parenting expert yep. and they'll just be able to talk you through some of the challenges that you might be having. Yes, yeah, sweet us. Thank you so much for your – I think I'm going to have to listen to this a couple of times just to refer back to all the – lots of great content and definitely lots of me as a dad and a, a parent to reflect on. So thanks mm. so much for being part of our podcast today. My pleasure. There's so much to think about based on what Joy said. For you, Jen, what are you going to take away from your conversation with Joy today? I really enjoyed the conversation around giving language for the kids to express their emotions. So how do you actually give them words and ways to talk about when their feelings are strong and big? I think that's a really helpful thing. They're not bad emotions. They're not good emotions. It's just they're big and they're big for the kids. So how do we talk about that? And I think it's changing. Like we had Mad Max when he was little, but now it's changing. And, you know, as he gets bigger, how do we use different words and how do we actually frame that? And how do I talk to them about my emotions and model that to them is a really important skill to develop and constantly develop as their little seasons are changing. So I thought so much of what Mel said was just really practical. Yeah, that's what I'm going to try with my kids too, for sure. You stole them, I have to come up with something else now, but uh, thanks, Jen. But definitely that was very powerful, that part. Mm. What about you, Susanna? What did you find really Well, I really like when Mel said that parents are really great at knowing their kids. And I think that's really undervalued sometimes because we sometimes with parents are so concerned about raising the children the right way. If they can relax and enjoy the parenting right a bit more and understand that they've got this, they've got it, they know the child better than anybody else. There's not another person on the planet who really knows their child like they do and be confident in that. Yeah. And then I think also 
what would help them do that is the whole thing that Joy taught about the bad, sad and mad feelings. Mm. Mm. And I think it will give parents confidence that they know their children more if they can try and unpack that tip that Joy gave about those feelings and helping the kids understand them. Yeah, awesome. Mm. I think for me, the fact that a child can't sustain a heightened state of emotions for like 40 minutes, A, that scares me. 40 minutes is a long time. <laughs> uh, but on the flip side, it's only 40 minutes. And so yeah. I'm like, oh, well, because sometimes you're like, is this ever going to finish? So I think that this good and bad one. I think the good thing is, though, I don't think she meant it's always going to last the 40 minutes, but yeah. that's She's as long as it's going to last. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. All right. The other one was for me was around normalizing emotion that we're able to connect and be comfortable with how we're feeling. So for me personally, I want to lean into that, like becoming more comfortable mm. with my feelings and my moods and emotions and then to empower my kids. I think I need to do that journey first. But, man, if I can empower my kids to do that, that would be amazing. Mm. Yeah, thanks for listening in to our conversation today. If you want to catch us on our Insta, it's at enjoyparentingau. Facebook, you can catch us on at Enjoying Parenting. And we just want you to remember, you are a great parent. You got this. Enjoy your kids this week.